And welcome to episode 142 of Page One, the Writer's Podcast. I'm Tarek. And I'm Marco. And thanks for joining us on the podcast where we like to speak to writers of all kinds about their writing careers, find out how they got into the industry and try and get as many hints and tips from them as possible. And uh, we have got a massive back catalogue there, uh, episode 142. So we've spoken to a lot of authors, screenwriters, video game writers, comic writers. So hopefully there's someone in that back catalogue that... Um, will be of interest to you so please do yeah. check that out if you if you haven't already but we just finished a fantastic run of industry episodes we have yeah just a, a few episodes ago agents and editors mm-hmm. and those those episodes are available as video interviews as well on our youtube future. channel it's the future yes, Marco. it is but um this week we've got another great guest on yeah this week we're chatting with kirsty Ayer who's written a number of comedy books. Uh, Kill Girl was her first novel. It won the Comedy Women in Print Award, which Eagle Eye listeners might reckon, re- remember as a award that was started up by a previous guest of ours. Yeah, Helen Lederer. Um, Helen Lederer, that's right. And um, and she went on to write a number of other books and saying under pseudonyms, Ginger Jones uh, wrote You Had Me at Halloumi, and uh, what the focaccia comes out next year? Yes, uh, very food food based puns uh, as <laughs> novel titles, which we do chat about in in the episode. And yeah, it's it really interesting speaking to Kirsty because she she started out um, actually sort of helping someone write pantos, and then yeah. kind of caught the bug, went moved on to sort of writing plays at the Edinburgh Fringe, and eventually she went on one of the Curtis Brown writing courses, which we've spoken to so many. Of yeah, our quite guests a few folk have done them. Have done them, and they do genuinely seem to be helpful courses. Um, she did that, and that, and from that course, you know, managed to get the inspiration to write Cowgirl, and obviously went on to great success with that. And then, then we we chatted to her about you know why after winning that award uh, under her own name, she decided to use a pseudonym for for her following books. Um, yeah. But you know, uh, those have been successful as well. So, and I think pseudonyms can be useful if you want to write a slightly different type of book from from the, yeah. the original one. It lets you explore more with with your writing. I, I think that that's right, and and certainly for for these books, I think her food based pun books under the Ginger Jones name are definitely a bit more spicy. Yes, it's perhaps the word I would use. I think so. I think so. I like I like the food. Uh, <laughs> analogy yeah. you've got there again. I didn't realise that of course that's right <laughs> anyway we'll, we're seasoning exactly uh, we'll, we'll get a, a bit more saucy even I mean we could well, we, that, why did I go for saucy that's much better than seasoning I don't know what seasoning even means <laughs> um, <laughs> but we're salty we could we can continue with these terrible uh, food related puns <laughs> all episode but uh, instead we'll get straight into the episode after a quick advert for our writer's notebook and then we'll be back at the end of the episode with a bit more chat and to let you know about next week's guest but for now on with the podcast the blank page to some it's terrifying an obstacle to overcome but we prefer to think of it as an opportunity a blank canvas to be filled with all of the adventures and characters in our head so how to overcome that fear Well, we all know the best advice for a writer is write. Seriously, get words on the page and more will follow. But what about later, when you start trying to pull those threads of what you've written together? What about the character you wrote about way back at the start? Who was she again? What was she carrying? 
And where did she leave the MacGuffin that she now really needs in the third act? Think about all those top thrillers you like to read. Or that amazing drama you just watched. What did they all have in common? Structure and planning. As aspiring writers ourselves, we've tried many different methods to try and organise all the thoughts about the stories we want to tell. We've been there searching for a piece of scrap paper to note something down, or making a quick note on our phone in between meetings. Or sometimes we'll make a note in whatever notebook we're carrying, or a document on our laptop so we don't forget that great idea. Let's be honest, it can all be a bit messy and it's easy to lose track of everything. And that's when we realise it's not just a story that needs structure and planning, but the way we gather all of our thoughts about it as well. And so we made page one. Page one is more than just another notebook. It's a place to put down all your ideas for your latest project, divided into easy-to-use sections that will help you plan your story, so that when that blank page comes calling, you're ready to answer. And then afterwards, once it's written, we realised you need to plan how to let people read it, so we included a section relating to submissions. Each one is designed for one project. Whether you want to write a book, screenplay, a comic or any other kind of story, we truly believe that when you use it, it will help you get to the main event, writing your story. So we hope this helps. We can't wait to read what you come up with. And remember, every story starts with page one. Did you always want to be a writer? Because I know um, before you started writing novels, you were writing for the stage. Yeah. So, well, just rewind to my childhood. I think, first of all, I wanted to be an ice skater. Then I wanted to be a famous gymnast. Then I wanted to be a PE teacher that spoke French just so I could go on French exchanges. Um, Specific. Very specific. Yeah. Yeah, I had um, all these whimsical ideas about what I might do when I'm older. And then I basically found writing, or it found me, in my late 20s when I kind of budded up with one of my friends um, who was working for Eurostar, who used to sponsor an annual pantomime that used to be put on in a tiny little theatre under the eaves of Waterloo Station in London. Mm. And Stefan, absolutely brilliant wordsmith, um, but writing in a second language, found it quite difficult to nail the humour in pantomime, so I co-wrote with him. Okay. And then it led to us writing, I think it, I think we did three pantomimes um, like each year to be doing one, but it got quite restrictive having to write about a Eurostar. So I think we had Murder on the Eurostar Express. We had Eurostar Academy. And then I think I did one called Cattle Class. And then I just thought I can't write about people on a train anymore. Yeah. So I turned my hand to writing stage plays, which then went on the Edinburgh Fringe Circuit. Really enjoyed that. And then kids came along and I realised I was no longer in the game for rehearsing and performing mm-hmm. kind of evenings and weekends because I used to direct them as well. And then I remember being really bleary eyed and sleep deprived after my second baby thinking I really need to find something that doesn't involve a cast and a crew. Mm-hmm. And yeah, turn my hand to a novel. I make it sound really easy and it really wasn't. <laughs> well, I mean, I want to ask because you kind of you kind of brushed over it and just said, you know, oh, I just kind of wrote some stuff that did the Edinburgh, you know, the Fringe Festival. But how did you get stuff? How does that happen? You know, you, was was this the theatre company that you set up? Did you Were you writing your material and then getting yeah, out? So- how did you get out there? First of all, I became associated with an amateur dramatics group that belonged to, that had the the luxury of having their own theatre. And this was the little theatre, network theatre at Waterloo. Um, And I used to, yeah, direct plays there. And remember 
I'd written this show called Class, and it was about five strippers who were just kind of lost in the mundanity of shopping lists and things like that as they were taking their clothes off. So it was always comedy. And somebody said to me, "Why do this is just the sort of thing that would do well at the Edinburgh Fringe. And I'd never even been as a punter. So next year I, was, I went as a punter. The following year I took, it was called Class. Mm-hmm. Um, very classy, as in the C and the L were black and the AWS were in red. <laughs> um, yeah, not maybe that classy. And uh, went up to Edinburgh Fringe and then I got hooked. I absolutely love Edinburgh Fringe. I saw so many shows there. Um, I think my first play, Class, the audience numbers weren't that great. We were performing in an old church in the evening. Um, Yeah, it was a really great experience, though. Met so many great people. And then I went on to take um, plays that I discovered that I should take fewer props and have a much less complicated set Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because you have to uh, really tight get in and get out. And the better, the more black box type shows you can put on, the better. Yeah. Um, really, really enjoyed it. Yeah. And uh, with you were obviously writing uh, comedy writing, which your novels are as well. But when you're writing that for the stage in particular, I suppose you're getting kind of immediate feedback on whether what you've written is, is funny or not. I mean, is that... Is yeah. it a sort of sink or swim situation in that? Very much. Yeah. So I find that, first of all, you have that initial hearing your play being performed for the first time, maybe in rehearsals, mm-hmm. and you're just thinking, damn it, that line is funny. Why is no one laughing? You know, when you've just got a really small audience. And then an actor will get a laugh out of something that you didn't necessarily think was funny, so it works mm-hmm. both ways. Yeah. Um, but then having an audience in and having like the ability to do previews. So I used to preview the show for a week in the small theatre in London. Mm-hmm. And then the money that I take on the box office used to pay the actors to get their train fares up to Edinburgh. But yeah, you, you it's such a lovely sense of atmosphere when you're in a theatre and you do get that immediate feedback and you're amongst the crowd and you can see them reacting, whether it's out loud or, you know, chuckles and guffaws or a, yeah. or in a little titter yeah although presumably does it does it change night to night you know are there some nights where you know the material works because it's worked other nights but it just isn't landing with that particular audience or something yeah and also the actors i find sometimes they'll just have a night where they're just feeling feeling the burn a bit and maybe mm-hmm. the performance is a bit flat so it goes both ways it's like the relationship you you have with the performers and the audience is quite interesting mm-hmm. and and this whole time when you were writing for stage did you have an agent at all or were you just out there by no, yourself no and you asked me earlier Terry, if i set up a um a stage production company and i did so basically i set up a limited company and called it class stage productions mm-hmm. and it just allowed me to market myself uh through a website and have class stage productions yeah um and recruit a, a cast and crew um, but no, I didn't have an agent at the time. And the first time I got an agent was through the book. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And and so if we move move towards the book writing, you am I right in saying that you did a Curtis Brown, one of the Curtis Brown writing courses? Yeah, that's right. So I did the three-month Curtis Brown novel writing course. Um, so I was one of 15 people. Yeah. 
It was really good. I mean, they promote it as meet the agent, kind of meet their agents at mm -hmm. the end of it. But the course itself was invaluable just in terms of everything that you get from a creative writing course, but top tips in terms of what not to do as well mm -hmm. as to do. So I find that I found that really useful, the Curtis Brown creative course. Yeah, we, we've had a few guests on that have, yeah. that have done it and it does seem to be genuinely very helpful, not just for the meeting of the agents, but also in terms of developing your writing and stuff like that. So um, you decided to, to, to write this book. Was Cowgirl the first thing that you started writing or was that something that came later? Cowgirl was the first thing I started writing, but it wasn't called Cowgirl at the time. Right, okay. I think the earlier draft was called Billy's Blog. And I was so used to writing dialogue as part of writing for the stage that yeah. that was where my comfort levels lay. And so I just thought, oh, how can I cheat about writing description? I, I felt not that confident in writing big blocks of description. I thought, I know what, I'll write it in diary format or a blog format, and then I can just do kind of note format and then slip into dialogue. Mm -hmm. But then the feedback at Curtis Brown was, Kirsty, nobody writes a diary anymore. Well, it's very rare that you do. And Bridget Jones's diary has been done before and will <laughs> never be paralleled. So I think this needs to be straight narrative. So I rewrote the whole thing. And it's it wasn't funny. until later that I came up with Cowgirl. It's funny because you, I mean, that's an interesting approach for them to have said, because, I mean, I've definitely read books recently where they, where they kind of are moving away from just a, a, a kind of normal-ish book. And it's more like a diary entries or found footage type material that has been recovered and it is presenting it in a different way so it's interesting that they emails were emails and things like emails that. and stuff yeah. emo chains mm -hmm. and stuff yeah, or text messages it's interesting that, that they were trying to push you away from that back into traditional stuff is that is that changing you think i think it is changing because the novel i'm i've just handed into my agent at the moment is actually written as whatsapp form oh cool mm -hmm. okay yeah um yeah i just think there's all sorts of media you can play with yeah, and the more you chop and change, the better. And people want something new. It's just sometimes you have to cheat the system a little bit, if you know what I mean. Like for yeah. example, writing in WhatsApp format, you probably end up with a bit of like a, <laughs> a headache if you really make them the proper appropriate size of a WhatsApp yeah. message. Yeah. And you have yeah. to cheat yeah. it a bit and extend it a bit. But yeah, I think it has changed. And when you were writing, obviously you, you were then told to write it in a more traditional style. And, and how did you find that compared with writing scripts? Because obviously you tried to cheat your way and you'd gotten caught and you were, your wrist <laughs> yeah. slapped and now you were back. So how, how was it? Was it was it hard? It was tough. Um, I realised that there are no real shortcuts, are there, with writing. And every time I approach a new novel, I don't know about you guys, but I tell myself, that I'm going to do it really differently next time. Next time, I'm going to like lay out the whole <laughs> novel. I'm going to do the structure. Um, I'm going to be a plotter rather than a pantster. And mm. then every single time, I do my own thing all over again. <laughs> yeah. But, but it obviously works for you, though. So yeah, yeah. And and when you when you were working on on Cowgirl, then and you had a version of that that you were happy with. Did you then try and get? agents at that point was it through Curtis Brown that you got an agent or how did that work 
Um, it wasn't through Curtis Brown that I, I got an agent. The biggest thing I got from Curtis Brown was a really good set of um, fellow writers who would okay. buddy up with me as beta readers who mm -hmm. I'm in touch with today and think they're all great. That has been invaluable. But the agent thing came about more when I think I tried early days to pitch Billy's blog as it was pre-Curtis Brown course. And then once I'd restructured it and renamed it to become Cowgirl, um, I entered it into the Comedy Women in Print Prize. Mm -hmm. yeah. That was early 2019 and was lucky enough to be longlisted. And as soon as I got a sniff at longlist level, I thought, right, now is my time to pitch to agents and I can yeah. quote it in my pitch letter, yeah. which is what I did. And the other thing I found really great in terms of um, looking for an agent was London Writers Club, who used to okay. traditionally just be in London because it used to be face-to-face -face in person, but has now transferred to be online. And they hold monthly events with agents. And I find that that is a lovely in, first of all, for you to meet an agent and understand what sort of writers they represent. But also, it's a great in when you're writing your pitch letter and you can say, oh, it's great to meet you at London Writers Club. Yeah, Club. yeah. Which is so, what I did at the time. So does um, that work as a sort of, is it a sort of social gathering or does the agent come along and give a bit of a talk or, or how does that work? They have different types of events and offer different services as well. But predominantly it's agent speakers. Right. And okay. they might have um, publisher speakers and industry speakers. Yeah. And, and not only did you, did you, get long lists for the Comedy Women in Print Award, you, you actually won it. Am I right? Yeah. Yeah, which is very exciting. I mean, that must have been a real kind of validation that you were that you were writing something which was, you know, worthwhile. Worthwhile. Yeah, or, or, you know, or, they or were, it was, 2019 was amazing. And when I look back on it, um, they were quite sneaky, actually, really good in a good way. Um, and bless Helen Lederer for coming up with the Comedy <laughs> Women in Print Prize. Yeah. Um, so it was the first time they'd run it in 2019. It was the inaugural one. Mm -hmm. And I'd been shortlisted. I didn't get tipped off that I'd won it. And so I had asked whether or not I could take a plus one. And uh, I got this email back saying, sorry, we're really oversubscribed. Um, do you still want to come? Um, <laughs> got a waiting list. And I always think, well... That's not exactly winner, winner, chicken dinner, is it? So I just thought, well, sod this. There's no way I'm missing out on this because there were. You That's know, a bold thing. What, what if you'd said no? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> we were playing it really cool. Though. I know. <laughs> yeah. So I, so I turn up thinking that, you know, looking at the, uh, the other shortlistees, thinking, well, she's definitely won. Like, you wouldn't wear that dress unless you'd won. Uh, <laughs> And then I went on what I couldn't believe it. It was it was yeah, what dreams are made of. Yeah, really incredible for your for your first novel. And and one of the things about you know, that award is all about it, comedy writing. But I always think that being able to write a book that makes people laugh is a very difficult thing to mm -hmm. do because you don't have the audience that you have for a comedy film or a theatre you know, stage production or something around you and laughing where the atmosphere is always like getting you into the mood to laugh. But when I've read books that actually make you laugh out loud, it really is something unique and special, I think. And 
you know, do you make yourself laugh when you're actually writing it? Is that how you know that it's landing right? Do you show it to people? How how do you make sure the comedy's working in it? It's such a good question because obviously humour is so subjective and what you find funny, I won't, and vice versa and all the rest of it. But and, And also there's different ways of being funny on the page, isn't there? So you can have like the satire, the slapstick, you yeah. can have just the tone, um, like the humorous tone. Um, I still find that I think, like when I come up with a comedy sketch, I do think of it as a sketch. Right, and okay. this is probably one of my weaknesses as well, where I haven't fully fleshed out the whole book. I just get an idea for a character in a funny situation mm-hmm. and think of it as a sketch, as if it was being performed on TV. And then kind of, oh yeah I quite like that character I'm going to stick with that one um, and then write the book around that mm-hmm. um, the, the, the other book that I'm writing at the moment is about three sisters and I'd like to think that it's com- comedy all the way through but they each have got a different style of comedy mm-hmm. uh, one is a frazzled mother and it's just all the things that go wrong that you probably would be able to relate to if you were mm-hmm. a frazzled parent. Um, and then a, a very pretentious one who is, I think you can use the lack of self-awareness as good comedy, you yeah. know, where you're showing one thing and telling another. So yeah. your dialogue might be saying one thing and the actions might be contradicting it in a playful way. Um, I love a good misunderstanding as well, or a language barrier, I think makes for good comedy. Mm-hmm. But yeah, um, sometimes it's more about the tone and one of the notes that I always get as well is uh, and it's quite a pressure having won a comedy prize to then be just absolutely hilarious all the time (laughs) and obviously I'm not (laughs) and uh, so I I, you know I'll hand things in and they'll go Kirsty it's just missing that lightness of touch which is a lovely euphemism for it's not quite funny enough (laughs) no uh, problem I'll just add that back in yeah (laughs) <laughs> yeah yeah so i find that i have to kind of write it the whole thing a bit more serious and then froth it up a bit after right okay. right okay okay i mean and, and how many how many drafts does it take you now and do you find that you're getting it quicker as you go on um i thought i, I thought it was getting quicker until i've been looking at this recent book i think it depends what you're writing and i find that i can i've got um, I write also under a pseudonym as Ginger mm-hmm. Jones, mm-hmm. which is a little bit of a different audience. I feel that that is a bit frothier, a bit lighter, and and that's hence the pseudonym. And I find that that one they're more like um, holiday romances. Okay. That as long as I know who my characters are and where they're set, I can normally come up with a plot. And I'm I seem to get faster at writing holiday rom coms, mm-hmm. but. Give me something absolutely new, like a a WhatsApp type um, framework, or three sisters writing from three different points of view. I'm finding that I'm finding my way all over again mm-hmm. with it. And and are you, you know, going back to the I suppose the the, the humor side of it, and and whether it lands or not? Do you show it to? Anyone do you, do, to to try and get their judgment as to whether or not it's working before you send it to your agent or editor? Yeah, so first and foremost, uh, I send it to my husband, who is a fellow author, and make sure that I'm just outside of of the room, but like 
really <laughs> going to see if he chuckles. <laughs> and I'm thinking, damn it. Like, I'm sitting on my hands thinking he hasn't laughed yet. <laughs> is that horrible? I have those stress moments. It's always when I and I say to someone, oh, this is a really good film. We'll watch this. It's, it's, it's really good. And you spend more time watching their yeah, face right, to see if, yeah. why aren't they laughing at the point? Which yeah. I think is really funny. It's a stressful, <laughs> stressful moment to have, I think. Yeah. And then I also, you know, I was saying that I met some really good writers on the Curtis Brown creative mm-hmm. course. Um, I'm still in touch with them and normally we'll send it to a couple of people from that group as well to be to read. And I find that really, really helpful. Nice. And and you said that uh, despite your best efforts to be a plotter, you're, you're very much a pantser in terms of your writing style. Yeah. I mean, how much, how much do you try and, plot down do you you know do you have do you just have this idea for a character in a situation and just see where it takes you or do you have a sort of ending in in mind but just let let the writing take you there you know to what extent are you a complete answer <laughs> that's a really good question i think i'm the sort of person um that writes a shopping list and then leaves it on the kitchen table yeah. and then finds myself in Lidl thinking, now what was on the shopping list? <laughs> and it's really similar with That's writing. Cute, I like that, yeah. Um, really, really similar. So I deviate a lot. So I will mm-hmm. try and shoehorn my entire plot into a really draft synopsis. And then, but I've probably got the idea in the first place from a scene that's popped into my head. Yeah. But then I'll quite often deviate from the synopsis and then have to retrospectively update it. And mm-hmm. I find that I'm updating the synopsis and the novel in parallel. Yeah. And quite often, I don't know what the ending is. And I don't know whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, but quite often it's the ending that I ha- I sometimes have to struggle with. Less so on the rom-coms when romance is the arc, but mm-hmm. um, on on the more complicated plots. Yeah. Well, I mean, I wanted to ask you about your your subsequent books, the kind of rom com stuff, because as you as you mentioned, you wrote those under a pseudonym, Ginger Jones, and I wondered why you chose to do that after having won the award and your name. You know, I would have thought you would you'd want to capitalise on 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 your name, but but you chose to go down the, the opposite route. Why was that? Um, I just had an opportunity that was presented to me where um, through my agent. Um, I had an opportunity to write under a pseudonym mm-hmm. uh, for Bonnier. And this came along, of course, when Cowgirl came out, and my de- which was my debut, it all clashed with the awful 2020. Mm-hmm. Uh, everything was struck down by COVID. Do you remember when the whole process had ground to a halt with books and people didn't really know what was going to move and yeah. people were trying to socially distance in the warehouses of packing books and the whole thing had ground to a halt. And I remember just not really knowing what was going on because Cowgirl kept getting delayed and delayed just in terms of the release. And I remember the actor who was going to read the audio version couldn't access the... <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, the voice studio because that was locked up because of oh, COVID. God. and I just thought yeah bring it on let's just write some holiday romances as a bit of escapism and put what I was writing as Kirstier on the back burner and so when I previously mentioned um, the goddesses of Barnsley I didn't come up with the title before but 
the three sisters one that yeah. is sixty thousand words on my hard drive at the moment alongside another whatsapp one that's gone into my agent so i'd like to think that i've still got the two things running i yeah. just deviated yeah. a bit just with everything that happened and when you're when you're writing those different styles of books you know how easy is it to move from one voice to the other because you know obviously the they do have a different feel and the, the structure of them different and everything like that. Is it is it easy enough to become Ginger Jones when you're writing the, the rom-com ones? Yeah, I th- ironically, I do think it, that bit is quite easy. So mm-hmm. the funny thing is, though, is when you're, first of all, choosing your pseudonym name, is have you ever done that little exercise where you have to find your porn name and they yeah, say something your like... Your first pet or something. Yeah, yeah, your first pet and then a flower or something like that. So... <laughs> I was brainstorming pseudonyms with my agent and was thinking, up, right, okay, the first name needs to be, like, spicy, hence the ginger. Yeah. And then we were thinking of a bit of a alliteration, like a superhero. And uh, I, can't, I think I went a bit over the top with the surname at one point, and then she was going, no, I think you need to rein it in and, you know, go with <laughs> something a bit more. <laughs> so, yeah, Ginger Jones it was. But I, when I was writing the bio for Ginger Jones, I prefixed it with... Um, with me being a redhead and I did actually dye my hair red I know that sounds really pretentious but I did dye my hair red and felt a bit Ginger Jones when it all came out and I was first of all writing about Cyprus and have since written about Italy um, but places that I've never been to before these specific um, places Mm -hmm. in Italy and Cyprus and uh, it was fresh escapism when when you really needed it and in the background, I was homeschooling some very disillusioned children and life was grinding to a bit of a halt. So it was just a welcome di- yeah, diversion. Yeah, it, it sounds almost like, uh, you know, we, we've, we've spoken to some uh, stand-up comedians and stuff on the podcast before. And there's this idea of like the character that they have on stage isn't, certainly some of them have a character that they, they act out on stage and it almost makes it easier for them to tell the jokes that they want to tell and stuff like that, that if it was just them then they'd find it slightly more difficult I mean does being Ginger Jones enable you to 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 write in a different way perhaps yeah I think so so Ginger Jones I think she's 10 years younger than I am and <laughs> she hangs out with her dog who often gets referenced on Instagram Sorry, do, um, do you have to create a whole backstory for this? I never thought that before, but you create a whole kind of fake bio for this person. Not massively. I think at uh, some point I forgot to, to delete my children in the bio. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, generally, Ginger doesn't mention her, her children. She normally mentions her dog. Yeah, But yeah, obviously it's still all the same, really, but it's quite good fun, really. Because well, I read an interview with you that said that... Um, the 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 sort of saucier scenes in you had me at Hilumi were almost easier to write because it was Ginger writing them than Kirsty writing them. If you see what I mean? Yeah, I think so. And then when you are writing saucy scenes as part of a, a rom com, I do have it into my head that my my ten year old boy is not going to be that <laughs> on board with it all when he picks up one of my books. So. <laughs> I'm hoping to blame that on Ginger. But if he never knows who Ginger Jones is, then it's fine. Exactly, exactly. Um, well, yeah, as 
Marco mentioned it's called uh, You Had Me at Halloumi. Why don't you tell us a bit about what the book is about? Yeah, so You Had Me at Halloumi came out in April this year, mm-hmm. and it's a holiday romance based in Cyprus um, around a girl, Freya, who ditches her job in a Mediterranean restaurant based in Nottingham to embark on a quest for the Golden Spoon, which is a coveted chef's prize that you can only win in very rare circumstances. Uh, The journey takes her to Cyprus and it chronicles her journey as a chef. Um, So it's a little bit of a a whodunit in terms of who's spiking the food. Um, it's a bit of a like playful characters with the, the a bit like a reality TV show with, the, the, with her competition and who she's up against. And then in the background, there is a romance uh, that takes place. And nice. will she or won't she win the golden spoon? That's the question. <laughs> yes, indeed. And and then there's the, I think the next book in the series, you, you said it was in Italy, it's called What the Focaccia, I think. Yeah. Um, I mean, I like this. Have you got a whole series of food-related names for, for potential future books written down somewhere? I just think the cheesier the better. I can't remember. <laughs> um, yeah, we've done loads of like puns with, with cheese. I just feel like I should probably do a German one. I'm just trying to think now. Um, you a German a kind of sauerkraut, or I'm trying to think of German food. Yeah, don't be such a sauerkraut. <laughs> <laughs> there um, you go. Yeah, yeah, we had real good fun with that. Yeah, I can see, I can see that. Very and, cheesy. Uh, um, you you said that obviously you are still writing other books other, apart from the Ginger Jones books. Um, I mean, do you have in terms of actual? book deals and stuff um obviously the ginger jones ones you've got two books lined up there uh, or one's out already do you have book deals already for for your own ones in place or are these things that are still to be pitched um the goddesses of barnsley i've been offered a contract with one more chapter um a digital um platform nice and then the dog book no that one is unsolicited and has to go through the whole pitch process mm-hmm. um so that'll be really interesting and so is your is your hope that you would in the future going forward you kind of keep these dual lives just running and and have that kind of outlet for the fun frothy stuff and then the more more kind of semi-serious stuff is that is that your kind of your goal yeah, I think realistically it depends how they sell as to yeah. whether or not, you know, I'll be offered anything beyond the two um, with Bonnier. But ideally, yeah, that would be lovely. Like I do have a few more ideas up my sleeve. Mm-hmm. Um, one At some point I really like to write a Christmas rom-com. I know that nice. is very seasonal and all your sales would be, you know, in the lead up to Christmas. Mm-hmm. But I'd still like to do that. Um, the reality though, guys, is that I do still work um, in a bank as a comms person, you know, three days a week, keeping it real. Uh, yeah, so it would be lovely if one of these channels took off. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but, but I was, I was texting. I think it was on Twitter. Was it last week that someone was saying that, you know, becoming a full time author is such a difficult thing to do. I yeah. think someone had said they'd sold yeah. forty five thousand books, which is a lot of books, and. You know, they they were just making thirty grand off that. You know, so um, it's it's a it's a long haul, and you know, so many of our guests have to 
you're, you're juggling the writing with everything else, you know, yeah. not just with the, the, the home life, which is difficult enough, but also with another job. It, it's a very difficult thing to do. And in your yeah. case, you're having to be two people as well. Which is <laughs> even more difficult. Yeah. Although I also do think it keeps you grounded because obviously, as you both know, like writing is quite um, solitary. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Definitely, yeah. Have you ever done one of those psychometric tests when you have to work out whether yeah. you're an <laughs> introverted extrovert or an extroverted <laughs> introvert and all that good stuff? I think I'm on the cusp. And so I do find a good bit of human interaction does me good. And I do also find that when I'm just in the writing world, if, if for example, I take two weeks off work to finish a book because I've got a looming deadline and mm. I'm living and breathing writing novels... I get really forgetful and go all a bit into la la land and yeah, I'm not really got my head screwed on right. And I do find the day job does anchor me in that way. Yeah. And and that kind of um you know, that as you said, that kind of solitary job, would that would that make you want to go back and perhaps try writing for T V or stage again, do that in that kind of more collaborative stuff? I'd love to, yeah. At the moment I don't have any ins on the T V circuit but yeah maybe that is something i'd like to look at and more recently as well like as i've been like ferrying the kids around i find myself listening to radio four mm-hmm. and some of the stage plays that are on yeah. there and i just thought maybe a sorry a radio play um maybe a radio play would be a nice one as or well also like a what do they call them narrative podcasts or fictional podcasts? I don't yeah, know yeah yeah the correct title is but they're they're very big at the moment as well so um, I suppose there's, that's the thing. There's a lot of options for writers these days, but the field itself is incredibly crowded. So it still seems a very difficult thing to 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 break into or make a success of. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Although I uh, read with delight about your success, Tarek. Oh, thank um, you very much. Yeah, with the bloody Scotland uh, debut prize. Well done. Thank you. Yeah. No, as, as you were saying, it is nice to kind of get that um, independent like verification that you've done something that folk like which is which is nice yeah yeah it, it is isn't it also unexpected for you Tarek I think on the night oh well. yeah but yeah because they don't say anything and um and and it was probably the better way because you don't I'd rather not know and then kind of be nicely surprised rather than be told mm-hmm. I suppose well they wouldn't tell you if you hadn't won it I suppose they wouldn't just tell if you had won it then, yeah, we always have that doubt in the back of mind. Like, they didn't say anything. Does that mean someone else has won the award? But, <laughs> um, but they were actually they were good because they were very up, up front and said, "We don't tell anyone if we've won it or not in advance." So I was like, "Okay, that's fine." So I know that now, which is good. Well, they didn't good. make any kind of awkward. Are you sure you want to come along to this, or do you want to just? <laughs> yeah, no it's probably no point even coming tonight, Tarek. Just, just, <laughs> just stay home. <laughs> I also had this really cringe scenario where, um, because of COVID and lockdown. Um, Cowgirl had also got shortlisted for the RNA Debut Award, so it's sponsored by Katie Ford. And there was myself and the other shortlistees all in this Zoom call, um, and we've been told to wait in this breakout room and that they would announce the winner and that they would then take you take the winner out of the breakout room oh, and uh, put, put you on the main <laughs> Zoom call um, and just to be ready. Anyway, first of all, the tech didn't work um, and it, everything just slowed down and we were in there. I think most of us had got a drink in our hands and were quite merry by the time it did come to our category. And then there was another tech problem uh, and they only moved the winner out and then the rest of us all got dropped. 
So, we, but because we couldn't hear the main body of the call, we didn't know that they were announcing it. So we just got dropped. And the next thing I know is my boy running into the room just going, Mummy, you didn't win, by the way. <laughs> and I was like, oh, God, that was excruciating. <laughs> what we defined out. <laughs> and yeah. the girl who had won, I know she was taking a, a Waitrose delivery. And because it, all, it was all really delayed, I think the delivery man had arrived outside, so she was having to do a speech before all the shopping bags came upstairs. I mean, I think all this, <laughs> you know, as it's these Zoom or Microsoft Teams meetings and stuff lend themselves to comedy sketches. I know, there's, in, definitely, in and of there's definitely a story there, isn't there? The kind of COVID Zoom yeah, exactly. lockdown world. Um, so uh, we've got, um, you had me at Halloumi is out and... Uh, when is What the Fuck Catch out? Um, yeah, so You Had Me at Halloumi's Out and What the Fuck Catcher is coming out next summer. Um, I think it's going to be July. I'm just waiting for my edit notes, actually. Um, and the idea is that, that um, this one's about fashion. So it's about a girl who would really like to launch a plus-size fashion range. Um, and is struggling to do that in London and takes it to Milan and then goes on a bit of a holiday romp around Tuscany. So that was really good fun to write. And, yeah, I think I'll be back into the thick of it with edit notes soon. Mm-hmm. And then that comes out next summer. So nice. hopefully you... a trip to Italy in the meantime. Well, I was going to yeah, say, you said that you, the Greece and Italy locations are places you hadn't been before, but sh- surely you'll need to pick somewhere nice for book three and then and go and actually travel. A research trip. A yeah. research trip, exactly. exactly. Expense it all and yeah. stuff. <laughs> <laughs> that we did, yeah. Um, and is it is it easy for you to jump between sort of editing and then writing something new as well? Um, not or do you, or do you park something? I I don't know about it. you guys, but I find I can only do one at a time. Right, mm-hmm. yeah. Like all my, because I think about it around the clock. Like when I'm lying in bed, falling asleep, and I'm trying to crack like a, a plot hole or fix something that's broken. I'm terrible at doing two things at the same time. Mm-hmm. Uh. Yeah, so I just think when the edit notes come in, I'll probably just park everything and then just all hands to the pump on the edit notes and that yeah. back in and then go back to the book. And I kind of need a weekend's break in between to switch brains. Yeah. Yeah. Although I sometimes also... that, that, sorry, I, I didn't mean to interrupt, but sometimes I was just going to say sometimes that can help when you go back to something that you've not been working on for a while with almost yeah. fresh eyes to it can it can show you a way, a different way in or something. Yeah, I think it'll take me a few days to get back into it again. I was just going to say as well, I know we all have like different ways of working, but when I'm editing my own work like before I've handed it in to an agent um, or to a publisher, I find that when I'm writing, I write at home in silence mm. and it's really quite boring. I'm very uncool. I don't have a playlist or sit in any like zany cafes. You know, yeah. It's just me, the dog and some peace and quiet but then when I'm editing it I quite often have to mail it to myself and read it on a different screen mm-hmm. um, and then do it when I'm on the fly so I'll I'll write notes on my iPhone on the way to work mm-hmm. I'll mail myself how far I've got with well, those three chapters and then just write notes in the notes field and then when I come back to it I can probably understand three quarters of what I've written <laughs> in terms of notes to myself Why is that? Is that because it becomes more like 
you would normally read a book or or or, or what's the thinking there? Why don't you just sit down in peace and quiet and just go through the edits? I don't know. I don't really know what it is. I think it's something about reading it in a format where I can't just edit it on the fly. Okay. So you have to and think so about it a bit more. A proper note to myself, I will have to write it down. Yeah. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah. yeah. Cool. I've, well I've definitely um, um oh, sorry, I was gonna oh, say sorry. I, no on you go to I've say I've definitely found that it's quite I quite like when I I put it on my Kindle and I'll read it and it's all it it's almost like reading a book and I'll and the kind of the problems jump out at me more, I think, because it feels like and being critical of a book I'm reading rather than my own writing on a Word document, if that makes sense. It's weird, yeah. kind of psychological. I, th- I think there's something yourself. to be said, what you were saying there as well, Kirsty, though, that reading it on something that you can't immediately edit it on is also helpful as well. Yeah. Because yeah, otherwise sure. you can kind of get stuck into a bit that actually perhaps doesn't need as much changes. You know, I, I'm very bad at sort of focusing on this the sort of micro scale when in fact it should be more this the sort of bigger scale that you're looking at to, to try and fix something sometimes so i can see why that works sometimes i do think the kindle is best for that as Tarek said actually um and seeing it you know on a matte screen rather than mm-hmm. more glare yeah um, just depends whether it's charged and i can find it <laughs> <laughs> What was the last book that you read? Ooh. Um, the last book that I read... I've got a few on the go. The reason I'm stalling is because I find that I've got um, different ones on the go. So I'm part of a uh, a women's um, feminist book club with my mates. And the last one I read through there was The Lamplighters. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. About the um, yeah the lighthouse keepers and going missing, so that was really intriguing. And then I find that I also have a stack of women's commercial fiction um, on the side as well. Uh, Norman Foreman has probably been the most recent one there, um, and that one he he goes up to Edinburgh Fringe in that one as well. It's comedy. Oh, nice. um, yes. What about the last film that you watched? The last film that I watched was probably Where the Crawdads Sing. All right. What were your thoughts? Uh, Absolutely loved the book. I was in the book Mm -hmm. to the point where when I was reading the book, um, and it's all set obviously in the marshes, uh, I kept thinking, oh, I must tell Adam about that really good film that I've watched. And then realizing later, actually, no, it's the book. It's the book that I'm reading. It's just that it was it was so visual. Yeah, so yeah, it's an excellent book. There. I really liked it. Yeah, yeah. I've not watched the film though. Uh, the film, I would say, is a decent retelling. It's quite faithful to the book in terms of plot. I just don't understand why she was dressed in perfect white wardrobe. She obviously had a washing machine in the film. Oh, in the marsh. Yeah, yeah and was sponsored by Miss Selfridges or something. Yeah. You know, like, in, in the book, she's emaciated and dirty and has, you know, looked after herself since she was seven years old, I think, in the marshes, right? Yeah. Yeah. She's uh, got a washing machine. In <laughs> but but on, that, on that thing about a book being very filmic and thinking you've seen a film, I went to see, I think it was... Uh, John was it the client by John Grisham years and oh, years yeah, and years yeah. ago in the cinema, 
having read the book and uh, my dad came with me and we sat there in the first five minutes of the film and he was like, but, but I've seen this film. I've seen, this is in the cinema as well, he's like <laughs> muttering to me. I've seen this. And I'm like, you haven't seen this. It's just out today or something. But it's because he had read the book and the, 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 the film obviously opens exactly the same way as the book. And in his head, he had, he had already seen it. So I suppose it shows it was a, a very uh, accurate uh, adaptation of, of the book itself. But um, what about the last TV show that you watched or are watching? I'm watching Bad Sisters at the moment. Do you oh, know yeah. Bad Sisters? Sharon Horgan TV show. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's good. It's brilliant. I think it's a really good piece of comedy about the five sisters who are um, bumped off their controlling brother-in-law um, set in Ireland. I think the original one is based on a Belgian original, I think, that I haven't oh, right. seen. All oh, right, okay. But I, I think it's brilliant. Yeah, yeah I'm a big comedy fan of her. I love, I love her stuff. yeah. But I'm am I big... right? She's she's made a deal with Apple to make like five shows for them or something because it's per production company. Or I think I'm sure I'd read. It's quite interesting. Who's Sharon Hogan? I think so. Yeah, I'm sure I read that. Um, so I'm hoping there could be more stuff coming from her. I don't know if she'll be in all of them or not. But ah, um, I'm gonna look yeah. that up. Amazing. Yeah. Um. Well, the very very last thing we always do uh, on the podcast as well is a is a super quick fire either or, and I always say there's no right answers apart from one, but we'll start with. Uh, Writing books or writing plays? Writing books. Uh, TV or cinema? TV these days, I think. Mm, yeah. Uh, night owl or early bird? Early bird. I used to be a night owl and now I've flip-flopped. Yeah. Um, a fancy restaurant or a takeaway? Probably a takeaway in front of a good... TV Netflix show. TV show. Yeah. <laughs> and the last one, real book or ebook? Has to still be a real book, I'm afraid. Oh, unfortunately, yeah. that's the wrong answer. I was so convinced I was going to have an ebook answer there after you're talking about the Kindle and the lack of glare. I was like, this is, I want a winner here with this <laughs> no, one. Not oh, have oh, I failed? Yeah, I'm afraid yeah. you have failed, yes. Afraid that's it. We're, we'll delete <laughs> we're, the interview. Yeah, <laughs> episode say, will never though, see the light of day now. When you said um, e-book or real book, what about audio book? I know mm. we have this conversation a lot. And audio book is gr- definitely growing. I'm a big fan of them. So if you were to go between real book, e-book or audio book. I honestly from? think that I've consumed more audio books than read real books this last year because we got a dog. And so mm, with the dog walking. walking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I rattled through them. No, I'm definitely yeah. the same. I've, in the last year or so, massively into audiobooks. So, yeah. 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 Some of them I play at very fast speeds, however, <laughs> if, <laughs> if I'm not particularly enjoying I them. always play them at more than one time, like yeah, at yeah. least 1.25 yeah. or something, because yeah. I feel they just they talk too slowly. I mean, I'm like, hurry up, get to the point, you know, speed the same. They didn't sound like a normal person talking. Yeah. It's at normal exactly. speed now. Yeah, I'm a 1.3er. 1.3, nice. nice. You push it yeah. a little bit faster than me. I'm not and I, I also yet. have to listen to the sample before I commit to buying the book. Yeah. Oh, do you? Okay. I never. In case never the narrator did. doesn't work. Yeah. 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 In case okay. it jars. I should try that because I have had some books and it, is, it can be ruined by a bad person reading it. Yeah, definitely. Well, thanks very much to Kirsty for coming on to the podcast. I really enjoyed that chat. And, you know, I think it always is interesting. We've spoken to, obviously, um, 
stand-up comics we've spoken to some comedy writers the, the skill in getting people to laugh and I, I think as I mentioned in the podcast getting people to laugh at a book in particular yeah. is quite difficult you know because, much harder isn't it yeah because it you're sort of more subdued maybe when you're reading a book so actually laughing out loud if that happens it, to me it's like very very funny you know it's at the top yeah. top of the okay, funny if you scale. go to see a comedy movie or a stand-up you're kind of in that comedy zone yes, you're kind exactly. of ready to yeah. you're ready to receive the comedy and you've also maybe been drinking and it's a whole different vibe but when I mean, you're, you could have been drinking before you read i often get drunk at half 11 at night in my bed <laughs> and i read my books <laughs> <laughs> Everything's a comedy when you read, when, you, when you're smart. <laughs> no, but it, yeah, it is. So um, it, it's a tricky thing. You know, a lot of people say that that comedy is one of the hardest things to write. Everyone thinks yeah. it's easy to be funny, and, and comedies are obviously are often said viewed as one of the lower forms of writing. Almost, you know, in terms of like, that you've got literary at Absolutely. the top, but comedy is is near the bottom but it's actually one of the hardest to pull off well. oh totally yeah totally the, i think the skill of a comedy is making it look easy you know, yeah it's definitely like a light, breezy piece of work but it's actually a lot of work goes into making it appear like that yeah absolutely and so i mean you can pick up kirsty's books either uh, her books as kirsty or her book books as ginger and we've put links to both in the podcast description or obviously you can pick them up in your uh, local bookshop as well so yeah thanks again to Kirsty for coming on to the podcast and uh, next week we have more rom-com chat yeah we have the not only is it more rom-com chat but it's the start of a one-two Christmas book punch it is uh, Karen Swan is the first up next week uh, who's written I mean over 22 books I think she's written she's, uh, and a really good writing career written for Vogue for You Magazine mm-hmm. etc Tatler uh, really interesting way into the industry and and she's written all these books and she has a really interesting double hander of a Christmas book and then a non-Christmas book in the summertime. And she does this every year, you know, two books a year. It's an incredible output and and it's a really fascinating work ethic she's got. Yeah, no, it is. And um, yeah, moving as well from journalism into writing books is a path that we've seen before, but it's always interesting hearing, you know, in many ways it can seem a massive advantage, but... Um, it isn't always the leg up that you think it is uh, yeah. in in the industry. So, yeah, it's a really fun and interesting chat. So uh, please do tune in for that one. If you have enjoyed this episode, however, please make sure and rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and your favourite or whatever your favourite podcast app is um, as that helps us to continue to get great guests on the podcast. And we've got a lot of good ones lined up for you. Oh, yeah, it's going to be a good new year. Um in the meantime, if anybody wants to get in touch, they can always send us a tweet in the Twitter machine, which is at UK page one, or they can drop us an email, which is podcast at rightgear.co.uk. Or you can find us on Mastodon on writing.exchange under the handle at page one pod. Sorry, Marco, I just got a pen. Can you could you say that <laughs> massive mouthful of a Mastodon handle? Yeah, well, you're going to yeah. have to get used to it when Twitter I refuse. Becomes... When Twitter dies, I'm gone. I'm just done. I'm just, gonna, I'm just wiping myself out. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> um, well, uh, have a great week, and we'll see you next episode. See you later. <laughs>